What up everyone, this is the Twice Over Film Club where we watch a movie every week and I'm your host Faraz. Today we're going to be talking about Michael Clayton. If you would like to know what we're watching for next week, follow us at the Twice Over on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Every Tuesday we announce what's on the watch list for that week. Also check out our website, thetwiceover.com. All the scoring that we do, we aggregate the numbers and produce a tally for each movie. That tally is dynamic and it depends on how you order the different elements of the film. Go check that out. Alright, here's myself with Fahad and Yusuf for Michael Clayton. This is a 2007 film starring George Clooney. He is a fixer at a law firm where he has to manage and resolve like internal problems that arise, but he has to do it in somewhat of a discreet manner. I am joined today with Fahad and Yusuf. This was a movie Fahad selected for Yusuf to watch, and I'm just tagging along. What's up, guys? Hi, Faraz. Nice. What up? Hey, guys. So, Fahad, um, this is the second like legal-based movie you've chosen for me. So wait, wait, what was the first one? What's up with that? What was it? Uh, social the, network. Uh, the, the social network. <laughs> social network. Does counts. it? Does there was it? two lawsuits in that movie. There wasn't even one. There was two going on simultaneously. Ooh, okay. The whole, okay, the I whole get your movie point. is revolved around this lawsuit. I, I think I want your like critical take on these law movies. Like, are they being portrayed accurately? Are they getting the things right? So I'm, I'm I guess I'm subconsciously aiming for accuracy in these reviews well this movie i wouldn't say is a movie about the law it's more about a dude who happens to work at a law firm Uh, it also like touches on some legal proceedings right moral obligations that you attorneys have yusuf i there's uh, a variety (laughs) of Uh, we have plenty of moral obligations. The The question is whether we live up to those obligations or not. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, th- that's what this movie is actually uh, about, right? I mean, let's let's talk about it. It's it's a movie about moral ambiguity and uh, all the all the stress and strain that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And that moral, um, the strains of like making a good moral decision, it's not laid evenly across the board, right? So you have lawyers in this movie that aren't taking that responsibility uh, to heart, they're more concerned about you know Billables. getting their hours billed. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the whole concept of having a fixer at a law firm is kind of like here. Here's the guy that's gonna you know handle all the things that the average attorney doesn't want to handle or doesn't know how to handle or is uncomfortable. Whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So like they, so, they kind of they kind of outsource that um, to one person and and let him like bear the brunt of the you know the uh, dilemma there, right? Right, and he's op- this uh, this guy, the fixer, is operating in some of a of a gray zone, right? So he could be making good moral choices or bad ones. Um, but it's interesting because the movie doesn't give Michael's character many moral choices to make, right? So I didn't think that there was much meat there. Well, we'll get into that because I actually have a lot to say about that part right there. Let's get into our scores for the review. Let's start with the sure. writing category. I gave it a 65. I gave it a 90. Whoa. I'm at an 80. Oh, you guys so like right it, between huh? you guys. Yeah, I, I think I, I liked it fairly well. Um, I, I Tell us what you didn't like. I think I'm going to agree with a lot of your points, but let's hear it. What I didn't like about it, it felt super structured. It didn't flow well. didn't feel natural. And the writing didn't match like the dramatic nature of what we'll talk about later is the aesthetics of the movie all right fair enough that, that's the main thing so i put it a little under average gotcha here's why i like the writing style i liked how it didn't dumb down the conversation it almost felt like you were being dropped mid-conversation it forced you to know the context of what you know the people are talking about mm-hmm. and so i appreciated that and then um 
It was just smartly written, you know? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but that's what I think has made it feel unnatural to me. Unnatural? I like the dryness of it. <laughs> okay. I'll say that. I didn't, like, you're talking about, um, like, the lines weren't spoken with enough dramaticism? Is that what you're getting uh, at? No, no. So, I didn't like that it was, I mean, I'll just talk about it. I didn't. I didn't like the aesthetics that much either of the movie, so the over-dramatized nature of the aesthetics with this writing was gotcha. just a bad combination. Okay. I, think, I mean, I think I agree with some of the points that both of you are making. You know, there, there's something very, I'm going to keep saying this throughout this podcast probably, there's something very tropey about the the way that George Clooney plays this high-billing attorney who handles all the, the you know, the, the worst possible, you know, pieces of the firm's work. It's like... There's a million movies like that, man. And so, like, uh-huh. to some degree, him him walking in the room being like, let me tell you what's what. You effed up and there's no <laughs> way around it. And, uh, you know, I'm not the man you think I am. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're talking you're talking about the the scene where um, he gets to see the uh, the guy who got in a car accident. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, without without getting into the scene itself, I don't want to talk too much about it yet. But. Yeah, like there's there's and that's not the only one, but that's definitely one that sticks out at the moment. Uh-huh. And there's something about maybe it's the age of this movie also, like that was that was a role that George Clooney kind of played to perfection and he played it in a lot of movies. And so maybe that's part of what's playing into me. But I, I did think there was something a little bit generic about, about some of this. Yeah, yeah. I, I get your point. In like the eighties and nineties there were a lot of these Grisham movies being made. They all focused on either law, crime and like other stuff, right? And there were all these thrillers, and they they all shared the same themes and plots, I guess. And so maybe it's been overdone. And I, th- I agree with you there. It's been overdone. But there were things that unique to this movie, which I appreciate. Right. And I, I do think, actually, they do an extraordinarily good job of actually demonstrating that moral gray area and, and the toll it can take and how confusing it can get. I thought they did a really good job of that, actually. You know, so whatever basic, you know, very overdone concept they were using, they, they uh-huh. actually played it out fairly well. So that's why I landed on 80. I didn't hack it too hard for that, but I didn't go as high as you simply because it is kind of not really a novel concept that they were going after. Gotcha. Fair enough. All right, so let's go over to the narrative. I gave this a 75. I gave this an 80 primarily for the re- reasons that Yusuf raised, like it's been overdone. So you gave it an 80 because it's overdone? Yeah. Or you would have gone Otherwise higher. Or you would have given it higher? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I gave it a 50 for <laughs> oh, all wow. the reasons that I said. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm the farthest away from you guys, so I'll, I'll kind of dive into that a little sure. bit. It, not only the things that I'm not just going to, I'm not, I'm not just going to give it a 50 because it picked, uh, you know, something that is, you know, a little bit common. That's not the only, I'm not going to go that low for that. I think there was some, some issues with the way the movie was laid out so most of this movie takes place in a in a flashback sequence where we're seeing you know what occurred to lead up to the events that they actually open the movie with mm-hmm. right so right. that's not that's not a, that's not a new thing right there's plenty of movies that do that but did you guys notice that like it's like 15 to 20 minutes before we actually get into the flashback part so we're like we're in the moment for about 20 minutes of the movie to open and then suddenly they toss you back all right. the way, you know, oh, four wow. days ago or whatever. I don't, didn't recall that it was that long. I don't think I remember. It bothered me. I mean, it, I have you know, when I we, have a general take on that, too. I just thought it was an unnecessary way to start the movie. I think it would have been just as dramatic or uh, satisfying if they left it in a linear, you know, storytelling. 
So I kind of liked it, right? So it separates the last arc of Michael's plot arc, Mm -hmm. character arc, I guess. I think that 15 minutes, it serves to separate it. Because you don't know when you're you're beginning to watch the movie what his character arc is going to be. But you can see it from his perspective there in the first 15 minutes. And then you get a different perspective when we come back to those same moments, right? I I totally get that. And I think... There's plenty of movies that that do this thing, and it helps kind of establish, I don't know, a higher pace at the beginning of the movie, and then kind of take you through the slower the slower sequence of where you're going to end up. That that's all good to me, but mm-hmm. that was an extended sequence, and some of that was like introspective. I'm not going to say it's fluff. It was important, mm-hmm. I think, but it was like it was not core to the the actual events of the movie. It was more kind of taking a look at the characters. Um, on a deeper level and so that was kind of more I don't know character development and it's kind of meshed in with the climax of the movie so they're showing us all this at once and it wasn't really making a lot of sense but in any case I feel like when you go that long you kind of I settled into the movie like I had kind of established myself in that pace and then yeah. suddenly they toss you back after that long I and I don't know <laughs> you didn't appreciate it, it. Kind of, yeah you don't I didn't appreciate, appreciate it being yanked and, around uh, like that right yeah. yeah, I was just like, Fair oh, enough. what the hell? Like, you know, so it was whatever. It's it's not a huge deal, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think they could have, as Faraz said, laid out this movie better. Um, or they could have just done without that entire, you know, flashback. You could have just watched it linearly and probably gotten mm-hmm. um, probably gotten as much out of it. Or, you know, at least maybe just minimized it uh, in terms of how much they showed you at the start. Yeah, I, I agree with Yusuf almost on every point. The only reason I did give it a much higher score than Yusuf though is I, I at the end of the day I thought it was pretty entertaining so a good entertaining movie that keeps in the viewer engaged so I wanted to not go too harsh on that Fraz have you seen a lot of these types of movies um I can't say that I have it's really not up my alley so it's more novel for you I think for both me and Yusuf we were we've seen a lot of these movies before but Yusuf judged it harshly I thought I thought it brought something new to the table like it, it didn't focus too much on the plot it was more of a character study of michael and some other characters and so i thought that was done well i don't know i mean that almost hurt it to me because they they yeah. peeled so much back in terms of you know this lawsuit that is kind of feature of the movie and the and you know it kind of carries the plot i mean they don't give you much detail yeah. about like what's like really going on in this lawsuit they give you little tidbits and just kind of move the plot with it but i don't know i felt like they could have just done with more just to make you feel like you actually know what's going on otherwise it's just a bunch of people you know throwing the book at each other and whatever like it's just you know it's a bunch of legalese that doesn't really make sense which is fine but Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe maybe because i expect to understand more of it i was more bothered by it that's what's going on but could it be could it be that because michael's a fixer he's not generally on this on this um what's it called this isn't his client he doesn't know much about it so we're taking on his outside perspective on this case i think that's definitely true um i I just don't know if as a viewer you 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 appreciate that because you know michael still seems to know more than than we do by far and it's a little bit it's just incongruous i guess but anyway let's let's talk about acting sure i gave it a 90 for acting i thought clooney was great and likable as he usually is but I don't think his character should have been as likable because he is supposed to operate in this gray area. I thought his character should have been played a little bit rougher. Um, to me, the reason why I gave it a 90 for acting is the acting of Tom Wilkinson, who plays Arthur, and then Tilda Swinton, who plays Karen. I thought they were their performances were worthy of like Best Supporting Actor um, awards. I'm at an 80. Um, I think I, I generally agree. 
But um, Faraz, what do you have? I'm, I'm with you. I gave it an 80 as well. Uh, for those reasons that you mentioned, basically, Fahad, I mean, those three characters uh, playing Karen, Arthur, and Michael, pretty solid job by those uh, actors. But I mean, it wasn't, I don't know about like award winning level acting. I, I just thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can get into it a little bit. I thought Tilda's character, it made you feel slimy because of the way she was like almost rehearsing her lines in front of the mirror. Those were some of the most memorable scenes to me in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was a cringe inducing, right? Yeah. And then Wilkinson, his, his like his lows and highs, right? He's bipolar. He plays a bipolar character and he's going off the walls in some scenes and, it was explosive and it was great. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I guess I just didn't appreciate it as much as you. Gotcha. Fair enough. Tilda Tilda Swinton's a good. Uh, she's a good like villainess, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, she she does a, she she does a lot of movies. Um, Have you seen Okja? Yeah, I, I, that's the last movie I've seen with her. Actually, I, remember, I think I saw Snowpiercer after that. But they're both Bong Joon Ho films. Um, and she, you know, she, yeah, she just does a good job playing kind of you know that evil uh, genius, and uh, she does it here again. So I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there. She also plays the White Witch in in the Narnia movies. So I mean, this is like this is kind of her her bread and butter. She's been she's been typecast. <laughs> I'd like to see her in a leading role. That would be fun. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I've established in my brain what what I expect out of her, and I probably wouldn't wouldn't like her character no matter what. But you know, yeah. that's too bad. That is that's what happens when you get typecast. Yeah. Did those? Let me ask you a question. Did those scenes stand out to you? The ones in which um, she was Karen's in. like rehearsing her lines for yeah. the corporate interview. Yeah. And something okay. about her accent also stood out to me. Like I don't know what accent that was, but it was like super. Uh, enunciated words that were just the way she talked was weird yeah to me like um her rehearsals she was trying to achieve like this almost airy uncaring voice tone like robotic i don't know not a robotic like she was trying to make herself less robotic right i don't know what she was trying to do man but she was i mean she was she was <laughs> trying to i think be like super diplomatic not um, offend anyone but get the point across and show the best face for you north I it was I, I agree with you like it was a uh, pretty cringy and it, it kind of gave you like a bad feeling about uh who this character was when she was rehearsing those lines she mm. was being corporate yeah, she i was, mean but like to an extreme level to an extreme level definitely but it just made me think about i mean it's 2020 right every corporation right now is is out there trying to show that they care about the causes and all of that right and a lot of the statements come off as hollow um and they they seem a little rehearsed right she embodied that she embodied that perfectly i thought yeah no definitely all right so next uh category we got aesthetics i gave this a 55 i'm at a 70 i i i frankly i couldn't tell you one way or the other there there weren't a whole lot of things that stood out to me uh and there weren't a whole lot of things that distracted me from the movie either so i mean i landed right in the middle there i gave it a 75 um so for me the cinematography worked well the shots mostly focused on the the faces and so it was like an efficient use of time it was more of a character study right as far as the colors they kept a a palette of like black, whites, and grays, which worked well with the themes. And pretty cool. Yeah, like this cool detached corporate vibe, yeah. right, going on. Mm-hmm. What I didn't care for was the music. I thought it was intrusive and used with a heavy hand. Exactly. And I think for us, you'd agree, right? That's that's the main driver of pushing my score that low. It felt like it was a 
a born movie or something with like no fighting or real action, just super hardcore. <laughs> to justify it, yeah. Action type music. Hey, hey, we fight with our we fight with our words, okay? But that's, there was plenty. This of is where it goes back to the writing, where like the music with the writing just didn't flow well to me. It just felt so weird and unnatural. You know, this guy did the born movies, right? That makes total sense. Like that he did at least one of the born movies. It, it it felt like that without the actual backing of the action that comes with the born movie. Yeah, I thought it could have been more subtle, um, the music. Yeah, that's the main reason I pushed it down from like a seven. Like otherwise, I would be where Yusuf was around seventy, and then but then the music mm-hmm. pushed it down for me. When I was like examining like how the scenes were set up, like the photography of it, all the scenes, faces. You know, you have these head to mid body shots or close in to the faces, and mm-hmm. it's just like no time's wasted on scene setting or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, there's no wide shots. There's no like. They're not setting the place. They're trying to put you in the heads of the characters a little bit. Maybe, I don't know. Or in the conversation, in the middle of the conversation, I guess. Yeah. All right. So go with the themes now. It's another 55. Ooh, wow. All right. I gave it an 85. 75 for me. Okay. Faraz, you start. Yes. <laughs> Why do you hate this movie? <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're all there, right? Themes are the truth like, and what the truth means and morality behind it, I guess, depending on what your career is or how you want to advance within your career and how it ties together, uh, the compromises one might make. And then there's a subtle, I guess, they kind of talk about like the relationships and family and how that works with Michael Clayton. I just didn't think any of it was substantive enough to give it a higher score. And you're definitely not going to leave this movie thinking about any of that stuff. Okay. I think that part is probably true. Um, I, I think there's some themes here that are that are worthy of of commendation. But you're right. Like your your average viewer is probably not going to walk out of this thing and say, "Hey, I thought this movie was you know really deep on uh, on a couple levels." I, that's probably not going to happen. So uh, I mean, I landed at a 75. So I, I mean, I think there's stuff that has value there, but. I, you know, it didn't stand out in particular to me. Like you said, there's a lot of, there's compromise. There's kind of this overall concept of bearing like the moral burden of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there's also a lot of the, the, the last thing that they kind of focused on a lot, which I thought was, was really good was, was kind of just the perspective of, of Michael Clayton. We'll, we'll discuss this more fully later, but he has a particular perspective about his position and, and uh, his value and everyone else has a completely different perspective of of his position and his value and like they just they can't see eye to eye on that and that comes up a few times and i thought that was like really telling about not only not only michael clayton but but generally um everyone who's who's surrounding him and in this conflict that's going on there there's a lot of you know misplacement of misplacement i don't want to say misplacement of value but like yeah it's like it's like a a, a lack of what's the opposite of of empathy <laughs> like it's uh-huh. like uh no what's it, sorry no no what's the opposite of a lack of empathy <laughs> it, it's it's almost like michael clayton doesn't want people to give him importance but they do or he doesn't think he has importance but everyone else thinks he does it's it, uh uh-huh. it, whatever let's let, we'll, we'll talk about this more after the jump but <laughs> What's that? He's a normal introvert. Yeah, I guess so. He's just a, a normal introvert with with slight de- slight depression or something like that. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he just he doesn't see the value that others see in him, and I I thought that was that was interesting, especially from like the career standpoint. And I mean, it it kind of makes sense, right? He plays like this somewhat de- depressed character, so he would uh, tend to devalue his own skills and worth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it makes sense, but. 
everyone else kind of holds him at some level of esteem. Yeah. Um, and and I I, thought, I just thought that was interesting do you the way think, it comes out. Do you think it's for his past performance in cases and we don't get the uh, true sense of what that was in this? No, no, yeah. I don't think so at all, actually. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, I thought I think that I th- that was going on. Like, we're not getting the true sense of what he could he could be doing for the firm. And his best days are kind of behind him. I I think they they kind of made clear as the as the movie went on that this is what he's always been good at, and so like th- you know this is his value. It's not like they're they're yeah. It's not something that they are holding him with high regard for. Like you know from days past, it's it's almost that you know this is your role and you're good at it and keep doing it and you do it better than anyone else. And to him, it was like you know I'm everyone's. I'm everyone's, uh, you know, janitor. He uses the word janitor yeah. a couple yeah. times. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, we'll talk about it more. All right. Okay. Let me get into my score because I, I guess you I was it. the outlier with 85, right? Yeah. I don't know if you guys picked up on some of the existentialist themes kind of dredged up. They were mostly internal. Like Wilkinson's character goes through it first, right? He questions all the years he's been put, he's he's um spent working for this client you north and then he has that revelation and he questions how much of his life he's um he's wasted right and then arthur does the same thing later on in this movie so i found that unique um you mean michael does that later on michael does that yeah i like what yusuf pointed out the gender uh, the whole comparison to genders um arthur brings it up first in the movie where he's lying in bed and he's uh he's either been sedated or something michael has been brought him back to the hotel room and yeah, he makes that comparison, and then Michael says it to someone else, I guess. Right, that janitor comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then a bagman, a janitor, a fixer, whatever. Yeah. They refer like to that role that way. Right. I think I mentioned this before, but I think what this movie really wanted to do, and, and if it nailed it, it would have been a much better movie. It was to set up Michael as operating in this gray zone, right, between right and wrong, and we don't get much in terms of what he actually does that um, could be regarded as, um, I guess, a bad choice versus a good choice, right? The major decisions he makes is what to do with Arthur. I think there could have been more done with that. Even though there was this redemptive arc to Michael's character, right, where he makes a good decision towards the end, do you think he should have been the focus of the movie because there were more interesting characters to kind of examine, like Karen and Arthur? And the movie's named after him, so... I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a asymmetry there. I, I actually noted this down. I thought they could have done more with Karen. It would have been she she was an interesting character. Not necessarily that I needed to see her um I don't know, like have a moment of clarity or anything. Like she could have just been as evil as she was, but just a little more from her. And then second, I didn't kind of like how quickly and neatly it like tied up at the very end. Yeah, I was I almost to get into hoping that, that Michael was just, you know, that messenger, the bagman, whatever, where he'll just take the money and be on whatever side he needs to be on and be quiet. And I would have found that to be even better than what it actually ended up being, which is that he was setting her up and uh, recording her. About that setup, right? He doesn't extract a direct confession out of her. She, It's only implied that she's assuming guilt to everything because she offers the bribe, which... To me, it was kind of confusing. Like the cops rush in and they arrest well, her. Well, that's another what? thing. How how neatly it was tied up because it's also his family stuff. Like his 
both his brothers, the one brother who um, was an alcoholic and kind of caused him to lose his bar, yeah. uh, he kind of like makes up with him, I guess, because he... Oh, no, he I, didn't. He didn't even... Uh, he, he asked him to help him. That kind of... and He wasn't know, on he, speaking terms, so he was like, uh, just drive. I know, but the guy also him, thanked he, him. I don't know. He gave him a ride. That fixed everything. <laughs> it made up for uh, all the money that was lost and everything. What do you mean? Oh, it didn't. And then, no, and then his brother, the cop, was the one who was there with the setup. Like it was just, come on, man. Yeah, I would have wanted that last too much um, for me. That last conversation with Karen to have happened over the course of like ten minutes, where he gets like proper revenge, right? Where we can follow along. What's his plan? How's he gonna get? Yeah, like some closure to this. Instead, we're like given just like one scene where surprise, he got a confession. She's being arrested. Which would have been possible if they didn't start the movie with the climax scene and save some time there and added it towards the end. I think it would have been a pretty exciting end of the movie if they had done that. But I mean, we had yeah. seen most of that material already. And actually, they didn't actually re they didn't make us sit through the entire opening sequence again. Right. They actually they, they, they sped it up. And, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think and they, added they, some they didn't it. make us go back into the the hit and run situation, right? They they just kind of imply that it happened, yeah. and we kind of you know you can piece together that obviously we're not seeing that part again. I think I feel like that happened a couple times, but that's what I mean, like where it's like they showed us so much at the beginning where they didn't really need to, and so yeah, you lose kind of some of that effect at the end as well. Then I feel like Yusuf expand on what Fahad is asking. Was that a real confession? Will that stand up in court? Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, she didn't really say anything. I mean, what did she say? She just she agreed to to buy him off, yeah, right? He, like that. Yeah, like a he, money, like an amount. She agrees to. She never amount. said I did anything or it was us. She just said she like she was just like mumbling I along. To, I agree. She was like, I agree to pay you the, you know, how many ever million he asked for um, to keep your mouth shut. And then he was like, Ah, I got a wire, blah, and like that was it, right? Yeah. Um, no, dude, you can. I mean that that's yeah obviously she did it and we all know it right but like that's that's not a real confession if he's an attorney he knows better than that so for a legal movie they they they, they screwed the pooch a pretty big gaff there I, they did they did screw the pooch i mean i don't i don't think they meant to be entirely accurate there and that's okay that's fine with me like i can uh-huh. i can accept that uh, especially for a legal movie that wasn't really trying to get in the weeds here you know like what do we really what do we get about the lawsuit throughout, throughout this entire movie right we just get that there's like like this scary memo out there where they pretty much admit that they killed a bunch of people and they don't really like it's just like a it's a game of hide and seek with that with that memo right arthur has it but he doesn't have it because they you know they got his briefcase and and then this and then but oh it turns out he actually made copies of it already and like all of that stuff right so like we we're pretty much just following like who's gonna see that memo who's gonna know about the memo uh and that, that's all we get in terms of like the legal drama here I, yeah, I just don't think they were trying to go like. I liked your summary of the legal drama. You summed it up perfectly. Like it's just about that like, was it, right? <laughs> the memo being in the wrong hands, right? In the right hands, it'd be powerful. In the wrong hands, it's like nothing. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I think I was expecting more more detail there. Like I was I was trying to see like okay like you know what is he going to discover as the you know the 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 fixer is he going to pull some maneuver where he where he comes up with something really valuable or he cracks this thing. Um, one way or the other is that going to happen but that wasn't really happening at all actually Arthur had cracked this thing long ago I shouldn't say cracked because he's actually he's working for yeah. the corporation and he just stumbled and upon he, the memo he just right? has a change of heart 
and he has a change yeah. of heart, right? So, like that—that's really what's going on. There, there's nothing more to it than that. And um, like I said, I'm okay with that. I think this movie was more supposed to be introspective on the characters, but it—it—it it, it, it was a little bit misleading to me at first. Um, to, to not realize that that's actually where this movie was going to focus. So I guess the title makes sense because it shifts your focus to the character. Yeah, 100%. I think I didn't even, frankly, I didn't go into this movie knowing it was like a legal drama. It's just that it opened so hard on that that I, you know, I, I kind mm-hmm. of assumed that that's where it would be going. But I actually just, you know, you, re- frankly, you recommend this movie. I, I knew the name, but I didn't know anything about the, the story and I just turned it on. Gotcha. So um, it was a very fresh watch for me. You know what? I'll recommend another legal thriller for you. Okay. Let's hear it. Oh, I don't. I don't. Oh, you're saying you, yeah, you, you next, don't have one picked yeah, yet? Yeah, exactly. But the next one. Uh-huh. All right. Just don't go Grisham again. Like, let's just get some 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 uh, some variety here. Okay. I'm actually not a huge fan of legal dramas at all. Um, I I hate most of them. Uh, there are some that I that I appreciate. Though. You hate most um, of them because so, of inaccuracy. Yeah, like I think the they tend to assume the audience is is fairly um, you know unaware of of a lot of the mechanics and stuff. And I'm okay with it where they 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 don't choose that as kind of the the meat of the story but if they do then you kind of have to stick to the bones of it and you have to get everything right i feel like yeah. um so uh, that that's kind of a gripe that i have generally but uh that doesn't mean there aren't good legal dramas out there mm-hmm. it's just that my cousin Vinny, right isn't that supposed to be a my good cousin one? Vinny? that is that's a classic yeah uh, that is an absolute yeah, classic um i haven't seen that in a while i wonder how accurate that is i don't want to ruin that movie for me let's just let's assume it was amazing so um <laughs> Hey, so I have a question about what you guys thought about Arthur and his condition and the way it was like kind of presented. I thought they kept, I mean, they did keep mentioning how, oh, he's crazy. He's, he's lost his mind. He's bi- bipolar, manic depressive. I right? mean, that's probably what his like clinical uh, problem might be. But like the way uh, he was boxed in, in the story, like in the yeah. movie was kind of, I, I didn't really like how they played with that. They could have, they could have. I don't know, they could have gotten more out of him. I just saw a lot of mispotential with this movie. With Karen, with Arthur, there was a lot more they could have explored. Yeah, agreed. Arthur came off kind of like as a as a big baby at times. <laughs> like they were just like, who's gonna take care of Arthur? Who's gonna watch Arthur? Yeah. And like there was a lot of that going on. Arthur actually for being so crazy, I mean he he has a few like real moments of clarity, right? Um, where he understands things for what they are in a way that Michael doesn't quite understand yet, and that's kind of the point, right? Michael has to kind of come to the realization, kind of catch up, yeah, without yeah. without speaking to Arthur or without getting the information from Arthur, because you know Arthur is by and large either isolated from him or like you know just they're trying to like rehabilitate him, and then he's he's gone at some point because. Um, you know, for his uh, apparent suicide. So there's there's all that, and like so, Michael kind of has to has to realize the things that Arthur has already realized, uh, not only about the case, but also just about about their their role and 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 their I guess their their duties as people, and not not so much focusing on their duties as an attorney, which kind of clouds their ability to to do the right moral thing in this case, at least. Right, and I don't think Arthur trusts Michael to make the right moral decision because he 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 doesn't reveal like the memo right to him mm-hmm. um so there's a little bit of distrust yet we know they're friends so it raises some questions well some questions right I, I actually let's let's talk about that so that's the opening monologue of this movie right and it's it's arthur you know leaving a message or he's, he's either i don't know if he's it sounds like he's he's dictating a message it must be over the phone but maybe he's writing a, a letter as well but we're, we're hearing the narration out loud right of him mm-hmm. kind of trying to 
tell Michael, like, wait, before you assume what just happened, like, please, like, let me let me tell you what's going on. Right. And he's kind of imploring him that, like, you need to hear me out. So I I kind of disagree with you on that, that I think it's the fact that Arthur doesn't really get the opportunity to do that very thing um, and kind of level with Michael, Mm -hmm. you know, and then and then he gets, you know, he gets assassinated. Yeah. Do we know? Do we know when this uh, message plays out in the movie? Because it is ambiguous right yeah we don't really know it when it ambiguous. comes I'm, I'm assuming i'm assuming it is actually we we do kind of have an idea that it's before michael shows up on the scene um so you know there's that whole deposition so there's that deposition where um you know arthur basically strips naked and um professes his love for the for the plaintiff right and um right. as absurd as that is that's a, that's a different point i thought that was kind of <laughs> probably probably going too far but fine like after that happens, right, Michael kind of yeah. gets the call that like, okay, like you're the guy, you need to go fix this, right? And I assume it happens in that interim because that's that's what that's what Arthur leads us to believe. He says, you know, who could, who else could they possibly send? You must be the guy that's coming to get me. Michael, dear Michael, of course it's you. Who else could they send? Who else could be trusted? And I know it's a long way and you're ready to go to work. All I'm saying is wait, just wait, just, just, just please hear me out because this is not an episode. Relapse. Fuck up. It, I'm begging you, Michael. I'm begging you. Try and make believe this is not just madness because this is not just madness. Two weeks ago, I came out of the building, okay? I'm running across 6th Avenue. There's a car waiting. I got exactly 38 minutes to get to the airport and I'm dictating. There's this... This panicked associate sprinting along beside me, scribbling in a notepad, and suddenly she starts screaming. And I realize we're standing in the middle of the street, the lights change, and there's this wall of traffic, serious traffic speeding towards us. And I, I, I freeze, I can't move. And I'm suddenly consumed with the overwhelming sensation that I'm covered with some sort of film. And it's, it's in my hair, my face, and it's, it's, it's like a glaze, like a, a coating. And, and at first I thought, my God. I know what this is. This is some sort of amniotic embryonic fluid. I'm, I'm, I'm drenched in afterbirth. I've, I've breached the chrysalis. I've been reborn. But then the traffic, the stampede, the cars, the trucks, the horse, boom, is screaming. And I'm thinking, no, 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 reset. This is not rebirth. This is some kind of giddy illusion of renewal that happens in the final moment before death. And then I realize, no, 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 this is completely wrong because I look back at the building. And I had the most stunning moment of clarity. I, 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 I realized, Michael, that I had emerged, not through the doors of Kenner Bacalodine, not through the portals of our vast and powerful law firm, but from the asshole of an organism whose sole function is to excrete the, 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 the poison, the ammo, the defoliant necessary for other larger, more powerful organisms to destroy the miracle of humanity. And that I had been coded in this patina of shit for the best part of my life. The stench of it and the stain of it would in all likelihood take the rest of my life to undo. And you know what I did? I took a deep cleansing breath and I set that notion aside. I tabled it. I said to myself, as clear as this may be, as potent a feeling as this is, as true a thing as I believe that I have witnessed today, it must wait. It must stand the test of time. And Michael, the time is now. So what I heard in that clip, right, I didn't hear Arthur convincing Michael that he's not crazy, which should have been his main goal because Arthur's coming to bag him, right? No, Michael's coming. Michael's coming to bag Arthur, right? Arthur should have been trying to convince him that he's not 
having like this manic episode that he's thinking things straight. He doesn't do that. I think he does. Well, he tries. The, the problem is he actually is kind of losing it to a degree. It's not that he's he, he does know what he feels and that is a true feeling. But it's kind of it's wrapped up in all the, the real insanity and the stress kind of coming down on him all in this moment. So it ends up becoming this rambling, incoherent thing. But he actually does open saying, wait, before you do anything, this is not just another episode. Like you need to understand that, you know, he he he, he tries. He really tries to do that. But then right. it's, it's as because soon as Michael, soon as, has... right. And it's as soon as he gets past that, that he he goes into his rambling again. But but there is truth in, in buried in there. Right. When he gets to the end of that whole rambling, uh, you know, story at the end of it, he says that he has come out. Of, <laughs> he has come out of the organism that excretes a poison that allows other bigger organisms to continue to destroy the miracle of humanity, right? So that is kind of a really, really... It's a nice little metaphor, right? Yeah, I mean, he says, as a law firm, we are just enabling everyone else. We're enablers. We're enablers for these corporations. And so I really did like that. Like, all wrapped up in his insanity, there is a real clarity. He's not wrong about that. Oh, yeah, for sure. But as far as, like, achieving that goal which of that call, which must have been (laughs) to convince Arthur or to convince Michael not to, like, not to bag him, not to bring him in, I guess. He's not doing it, right? It's not going to work. Uh, Yeah. Because he's had another episode that's that's revealed later, right, in which Michael brings him. Rehabilitates him. Yeah. So with the whole, you mentioned this with his uh, love for the plaintiff. On top of how they keep referring to him going crazy, it's just very dismissive of Arthur in the movie. Obviously, us as the audience, like, no, he's on to something. He's not just crazy or just, I mean, he is. He has some uh, issue, but, like, the actual meat of his issue is true. Yeah. In the movie, it's just very easily dismissed. With him falling, falling in love with the plaintiff. It it is because um the the head of the legal firm also says it like we've known from day one that this case was a shitty case yeah. right that we knew you North knew about the harmful consequences of their uh, chemicals the law firm doesn't pretend to be acting playing for the right side yeah he he says something to Michael like uh you know don't don't act like I don't or don't tell me I need to explain to you right now how our firm pays the bills right like he he's like dude this is like this is what we do and you know it like and so again I don't know for some reason Michael uh, is disconnected from that and Arthur I think knew that as truth for for a very long time but the circumstances that things end in um, especially with him falling in love with this plaintiff it it really throws him for a loop Mm -hmm. and I don't know it's like it's interesting because I think he he's right in the end about how he feels but but he only feels it because he happens to be in love with the plaintiff, maybe, right? Um, and, and that's like that's not the pure so, that's not the purest way yeah. to come to a realization that you know you have a moral duty, right? Uh, just because yeah. you end up in love with 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 a woman, that's that's why. Oh, now suddenly I understand that you know people people deserve yeah. rights and and you know we should we should look out for one another. Like that's that's a little bit reductive. Let me get into that a little bit. To me, that whole thing with the plaintiff and Arthur was Arthur was seeing her not as like a love interest or anything, even human. It was more like symbolic, like she's an, a token of like truth. He, he says she's a miracle, right? He says that multiple yeah, times yeah. to Michael. Because she's like super innocent and like he's, yeah. it's like it's hitting him like this is the kind of person that is affected yeah. by you North. 
Right. Like this is the kind of person where yeah, worth protecting or whatever. I mean that's I, I guess. I just don't like how it's presented in the movie. It just seems dismissive. I mean you're right. I think it I think it is dismissive. Um because whatever, like th- there is there there's there's a lot of glossing over what's going on with with Arthur. So I think you're right there. But I, I just think if you if you peel back enough layers, like there actually is like a pretty articulate um, description of really the, the 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 central theme of what they're what they're trying to show us is right. So mm-hmm. um, I thought I thought it's there, but you're it's as we discussed, it's it's there to the uh, the searching eye maybe, but people aren't gonna walk out of the movie and say like, wow, we need to reconsider our moral duties as a society, right? Like no nobody nobody got that out of this movie necessarily. So um, I I agree with you there. It's it's probably a little bit. Uh, deeper hidden in the in the you know this entire plot what like like the shared culpability of everyone like the enablers in society yeah like i mean again like they 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 throw that in there but but really they're they're throwing it in there from from the most insane character in this movie right and and nobody nobody really after nobody thinks he actually knows what he's talking about so um you know it's because he's known to have like these manic episodes right we don't get a lot of detail on that but obviously he had at least one before right and michael was the guy that that was there to to kind of pull him through it and so do we get more detail than that i don't really know that we do about his previous cases no we don't we don't get like the history or even like what the condition is bipolar yeah they don't actually mention what the actual condition is yeah um just that he gets episodes if he gets off his medication i was gonna ask like do you know do you know if uh, michael clayton is uh based on anything or if it's a original it's original screenplay oh it is okay yeah. I mean, I assume, I mean, like, you North is, I mean, is they're playing off, like, Monsanto? Um, not Monsanto. It's the other company. Oh, there's another one? Yeah, it's, Monsanto is, like, the, um... They're, like, the seed company. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the fertilizer company. I don't know. So, I mean, we talked about this at the top, right? But, like, George Clooney's character, and I think, I mean, he does a good job of portraying this, but Michael Clayton is is not happy with who he is he has you know a whole slew of problems but there's that scene um again with the you know the the hit and run guy i guess he's he's a client of the firm and and michael gets sent out late at night to deal with his issue and this guy hit somebody in the road and and kept driving home michael clayton doesn't have much good news for him he pretty much says okay we're we're gonna need to get a, a criminal trial attorney over here as soon as possible and um you know there's there's no play here right and the guy kind of loses it and he was like you know like we I was told that you could do better. Is that all you have for me? And he says, like, I don't know. I don't know what you were told, but I'm, I, you know, like, I don't know who you thought was coming here. And he says, I thought, you know, I was told, direct quote, a miracle worker was on his way to my house, right? And Clayton's response to that is, I'm not a miracle worker. I'm a janitor, right? That's two very different ways to look at the same thing, right? Somebody at, you know, at a, at a law firm like this who who cleans mm-hmm. up everyone's messes, right? literally a janitor but you know to a lot of other people he's the guy who kind of comes and saves the day a lot of the time and so that's kind of a a very um romanticized way to look at uh the role of a fixer and the role of michael clayton but internally he just he doesn't feel like he has any sort of identity himself and you know he's just he's uh you know he's he's this tool on the swift army knife that everyone uses Um, but, but really he just, he does all the dirty work is how he feels. Right. I thought that yeah. that was really interesting because it is kind of something that we do tend to, to romanticize a bit, maybe not just like a fixer, but like, I'm thinking of like people who, who generally are like, um, you know, you hear the term 
the closer kind of thrown out a lot, right? And so that's obviously yeah. it's a baseball term uh, when it has to do with somebody who closes out games. But that's also, you know, that is a role that people have at like um, at law firms, right? You know, the closer is the, the, the most reliable guy you can have to come in and get the deal done. But like something about the way that he's put in that bucket, just it's unfulfilling for him. And, you know, I guess they go, they go into deeper details about why he feels so unfulfilled. Like the fact that he's, he's not a partner, even though he has more seniority than almost everyone else. But, you know, because of his role, he kind of has to stay off the books essentially uh, and all of that but like you know really at his core what we're talking about is there's a, there's a huge disconnect in terms of the value he places on himself versus the external value that everyone gets from him but um like we said that's that's really only because he has utility to them i mean like he even asks um who is it marty like like put me on a put me on a team you know one that goes to court and actually tries cases and stuff. And he won't he won't do it, right? He says yeah. like, you know, like you should be proud. You've you've carved out a, a niche for yourself. That's what yeah, he says, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. And Michael his only impetus for being on like a team again was because of the rumors of merging and the um after the merger they wouldn't see his value right he's he's like paranoid that like you know he might not have the same role because he's kind of like mm-hmm. like you have said he's off the book off the book and I, that was the motivation for him trying to get a restaurant going that was his way out he wanted a way out right yeah and 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 he's he's under a pile of debt essentially but for somebody who's as important to the firm as as he is he he doesn't seem to have any sort of security right so he doesn't have a, a real place at the at the table at the firm and um he doesn't even have money saved up right i mean perhaps he did uh he clearly was trying to save up money but you know yeah. family issues of some sort right somebody screws him over his brother right i guess we don't really yeah no it's his brother because his brother is an alcoholic we don't really get the detail again we I, I feel like they go halfway on a lot of stuff we don't get a lot of details about what happened there but obviously um his his brother screwed up and and cost them money right so yeah that's yeah. another theme that we didn't really discuss but it's there i guess addiction because his brother has he's an alcoholic and then we know that michael is like recovering from a gambling addiction so whenever something goes wrong the first thing people assume of him is like oh are you like back at in the gambling table? Yeah, debt or something yeah cards again yeah they're all right. a bit screw-ups right yeah so yusuf i don't think you explored the why right why doesn't michael value his his skills is it just a difference in values i guess like he doesn't think there's a reason for his existence in society i think nobody nobody sees the ugliness that that he does going back to that hit and run scene that it's it's really like it was cringy almost i mean it's a good performance but when you hear this guy talk about, you know, the guy that he just hit, basically shouting about, why was that guy running in the middle of the night? But like, he's speaking so matter of factly that he's like, you see what they did was they, they changed the grade out there and they, they widened the lanes. And um, that combined with the uh, the fogginess and the and the sodium lamps that they just put up there, it's, it's blinding. I've been complaining about this for years. And like he, he's saying it like, like, so like, you see what happened? Like, you know, there was these 700 things just came into the perfect alignment that caused this coincidence where I, I hit this guy with my car and he has no culpability for it right yeah he's searching for an out where michael's like it's a clear-cut case of hit and run right all those extenuating circumstances go out the window once you've left the scene not only not only is he searching for one he thinks he deserves one and i think that's what michael hates that like i'm the guy who has to smooth this out and save this guy's butt and this guy doesn't deserve it at all because this guy doesn't see that he did anything wrong, right? Right, and okay. and he doesn't see that he did anything wrong, and I'm going to help him get off so that he can continue being a, a horrible person, right? And uh, to use Arthur's words, right, we're spewing out the poison that 
allows bigger, worse organisms to destroy the miracle of humanity, right? So, like, he, I think he, he gets that moment where he just realizes exactly what Arthur was already feeling. And I don't know that we ever find out that, like, Michael Clayton actually heard Arthur's message or anything, right? But the point is that he ends up uh-huh. in the exact same spot. And, and that's, I think, really what, what makes him lose the value because he knows the kind of scum that he keeps safe. And that just, that doesn't sit nice with him anymore. And that's why he calls himself a janitor. Mm. And you think it doesn't sit nice with him because um, Arthur has died at this point? Maybe, right? I mean, you have to see that, like, Arthur, he knows that Arthur had, you know, an extreme uh, discontent for what he did by the end of it, right? So, I mean, it it probably does cause some internal questioning on his end as well. Uh, But I I feel like he was already there because he was looking for a way out with the restaurant. He was, um, you know, he had several failures as he tries to, you know, remake himself and never really works out. And he just kind of stays in his rut until until things play out the way he did. And he, uh, you know, he calls up his cop buddy and, uh, you know, puts a wire on and and screws (laughs) over the company in one last act of uh of defiance i guess right he must he must lose his job after that i i would assume right (laughs) i would assume so yeah i don't know i don't know how he survives that at the company that i think that last sequence um cinematography wise there's one thing that stuck out to me it was I did like how long that last scene was where, you know, he says, yeah, he said, I just need some air. And he goes outside, he gets in the taxi and he says, he gives him 50 bucks or something. He says, just drive, just drive in in, in circles. And we watch him just sitting there in the car thinking for like probably a good two minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I I really did like that where it was just, I don't, I don't know that there's anything really even going through his mind, but it, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of the, there's a weight being lifted off him and he just, he just gets a moment of peace kind of, you know, in New York traffic. So I I did like that. I mean, considering that his like friend Arthur has been killed, he probably feels, you know, relief that he's gotten some, I guess, justice for Arthur. Yeah. And like he's letting it soak in. As far as the cinematography goes, I generally liked it. It's just the music I didn't like. But this guy also did Nightcrawler. I looked it up. Mm -hmm. See, that kind of music worked with Nightcrawler. Like, kind of, like, intense music. Yeah, because Nightcrawler's central character was so psychopathic that it kind of yeah. fit, right? And he did do a Bourne movie, but he did the uh, the one with, uh, not with Matt Ultimatum. Damon. Yeah. No, no, he didn't do Ultimatum. The other one. It's, uh, it's uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner, Renner right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's outside of kind of the, the canon yeah. of uh, the Matt Damon films, I guess. But I haven't seen this that's, one. Uh, that's interesting, because, I, I mean, I guess... You're right. Like that that type of music and that kind of the intensity or like kind of the, the tone that that brings probably works a lot better for, for, for those movies, obviously. For Nightcrawler, it makes sense. For corporate espionage in this <laughs> movie, yeah, probably not, right? I mean, it's just it's not that it's not that tense where, where you need that uh, throughout this entire entire sequence, I yeah. guess. So that's probably, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it seemed a little bit in that. I'm guessing that falls on the editing or uh, what's it called? The music department. Does, does the director get a say in that? Yeah, I think the director gets to tell him, like, provide the direction for the use of it. The actual creation yeah. of it, I guess. Maybe the, he doesn't have as much of a say. But, I mean, it still falls under our aesthetic score. Get this. This was his first directorial movie. Oh, okay. Then another thing, you know, how we talked about George Clooney and the character he plays. A movie that I, I think just kind of blended in as one movie was Up in the Air and Michael Clayton. They came out somewhat yeah. uh, close kind of to each roles, other. Right? Yeah, 2009 and 2007. He's not like so much of a fixer in Up in the Air, but like he has that same kind of character vibe to himself. I don't know. I guess I saw them all, saw both of those movies when they kind of first got released. So if you asked me about it like two years ago, 
I would have been like, oh, I think I would have, I probably would have mixed them both, like between which one was which. <laughs> I wouldn't have remembered. I don't know that I've seen up in the air, but isn't that like a rom com about like, I don't know, that takes place. Yeah, he's, on, he's, like, basi- he's basically a dude who travels a lot for work and fires people. Like that's what his role is <laughs> as a consultant. And he has affairs with women while traveling. That's like, that. that's two really weird movies to blend together. I see why, but like that's hilarious. The same <laughs> I, th- I think it's the character. Right? Yeah, it's the character. The way he's he acting He plays is like exactly this cool, detached guy. You can like superimpose anything onto him. And he dresses, dresses exactly the same. That's a George Clooney special. Um, it is? Right. He does that. He does that so much. I mean, you know, just kind of playing the cool, suave guy yeah, who like Oceans has a little movies. bit too much going on. Even like the Ocean's movies. Yeah. Come on, like that's like that's like what he does. I don't oh know. I, yeah, that's his bread and butter. That's true. Right. I I think I think he's he's a much better actor than just that. But he does do a lot of that, and at least historically he did. Maybe not even so much so recently, but like I I feel like in the two thousands when this movie came out, he did a lot of those roles. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, I'm reading about George Clooney right now. His maternal great 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 grandmother Mary Ann Sparrow was the half sister of Nancy Lincoln mother of abraham lincoln okay this what george clooney bro got some president in him <laughs> george clooney the wow. emancipator of slaves <laughs> okay the breaker let's, of chains let's not go that far i mean he did take down you you north the though. breaker of chains <laughs> oh we didn't talk about realm and conquest realm and conquest guys the the fantasy novel that his son is reading that is a uh, very important here. It's it's what right. gives Arthur the clarity that he that he needs to to do what he needs to do. Not I don't, I wouldn't say it gives him the clarity. What? It uh it doesn't give Arthur any clarity. It gives Oh wait, yeah, you're right. It's Arthur yeah. cuz Arthur's off his meds. Yeah. Arthur sees all like the uh, the symbolic nature of like everyone coming to a clearing with some with some epiphany, right? It like, motivates him to go further. Conquest. Like he already knows I think like what the truth is, but then like it the the book when he's talking with uh Michael's son, yeah, it just gives him the motivation to proceed. That's I mean because it's in the right. hotel, right? And he leaves if he doesn't have that conversation, you think he's just there in the morning with Michael and they go back to the law firm together. Or if he doesn't have that or if he he does have that conversation. So he clearly decides, all right, I'm booking it and I'm going to do what I need to do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I really do think that's what at least that's what we're led to believe. Right. That's why they were, they put Henry in there and, uh, you know, they have him. <laughs> it was kind of sad. The whole movie he's just like, yeah, there's this book, Dad, you got to read it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to read it. <laughs> and then like his dad's friend who happens to call is like a hundred times more interested in this book. <laughs> he's like, you gotta give me, like he almost, like he forgets to ask him the name of the book and they almost hang up and he's like, wait, 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 like what's the name of the book? Like I'm going to lose my mind if I don't know what the name of this book is right now. Like I need to go. So I don't know. I thought it was, it, it was fun. I liked that aspect of it. Yeah. So um, from the moment he gets the name of the book and then we see he has that book up in his loft in New York. So he got the, he eventually does get that book. Right? Yeah. And he, he hides the receipt for the, uh, the copies the print of the memo. Yeah. And the, yeah. And, and also the, the memos that he prints are themed after the, you know the the color theme of the the book realm and conquest as well so it really did stick what i didn't notice that yeah yeah because yeah. like the red and black theme uh he oh, uses that on the cover because okay. they, they i don't know if you noticed but like when he go when michael clayton now goes into the 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 print shop to pick them up he was like hey man like sorry like we didn't have enough red covers like you asked for yeah. so like arthur so clearly specifically asked for every one of those memos to have like a red cover with the black to writing. follow the theme yeah right? yeah 
Um, and now that they're now they're blue, I think, right? They're, they're, I think he said like yeah, we have to do the last hundred in blue or something. But the point is like Arthur specifically requested it was was the takeaway from that. So uh, the book really did imprint on on his plan. That that was the turning point for him, I think. Alrighty, guys. Thanks everyone for listening. Go do your moral duty, everyone. Bye. Stop supporting corporations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this production of the Twice Over. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend. Want to see what your tally is? Check out the twiceover.com. All the movies we've done are listed there, as well as what we're watching for the current week. Follow us at the Twice Over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can leave us any suggestions, feedback, or comments. And if you're about it, you can also support us on Patreon. The music you hear on this podcast is from Amerigo Gazaway. You can find his work on Bandcamp and Spotify.